Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com with over 30 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 20% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP314. This episode is brought to you by Drobo, makers of the Drobo Mini and Drobo 5D. And TWIP listeners get $50 off at DroboStore.com. Just use the offer code TWIP50. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple online accounting solution built for small business owners just like you who want to skip the headache at tax time. For a limited time, try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, visit GetFreshBooks.com now and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. This week on TWIP, a photographer leaves $7,000 of gear on a bullet train in Japan and gets it all back. Ellen's Oscar selfie becomes the most retweeted photo ever. Jezebel offers $10,000 for unretouched images of Lena Dunham in Vogue. And an interview with Mark Homza, CMO of Flixel.com. It's Wednesday, March 5th, 2014, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. Tonight, uh, this is Valérie Jardin hosting for Frederick, who is on assignment at WPPI in Las Vegas. So um, I'm quite honored. And this is episode number 350. So it's quite uh, quite something. I'm, I'm excited. And joining me to discuss the topics of the week are two pro podcasters, so there is no worry. Martin Bailey and Derek Story. Welcome back, guys. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to being on the show with you. This is cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to have you on the show. And Martin? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. So it's, what a, it's, it, it's fun to be here with you at the helm as well. So it's, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm looking forward to it's going to be interesting. Everyone, just uh, be kind. <laughs> I'm doing my best. <laughs> Those are big, big, shoe, big shoes to fill. Um, so, Martin, what have you been up to? Oh, I've just got back from my Winter Wonderland tours here in Japan, so that's like the highlight of my year, uh, until the next big tour, of course, but uh, it's it's been great. We uh, we had a, a wonderful uh, two two-week sessions, and um, I've got back, and I'm literally just finishing the final reviews of my third Craft & Vision ebook. so keeping busy. Wow, so now you do two weeks... Two two-week tours back to back. We have a week off in between. Okay. Um, generally, you know, I mean, as as anyone that's been on the tour will attest, they they're heavy going. You know, even yeah. uh, David Dusherman last year joined, and he said, you know, that Martin um, marches his troops pretty hard, and and it, it's true. You know, we we end up we're we're up at four a.m. most mornings, and we're out until after dark, um, and so it, it's it's taxes the team you know yeah. they, they go back tired and I go back tired so sure. yeah. um if I was to get back on Friday evening and then leave again on Sunday the following Sunday I probably wouldn't make it through the second tour so <laughs> I know because I've done yeah. tours back to back and workshops although my schedule is a little easier than yours but it's still it's a lot of work and yeah two back to back is a lot so cool yeah. and what is the new book going to be about 
It's called Striking Landscapes, all about landscape photography and, you know, how to make, uh, well, striking landscapes, basically. Good. <laughs> yeah. I need that. <laughs> <laughs> and Derek, what have you been up to? Uh, I just uh, finished uh, a workshop myself. We're all workshoppies uh, we this are. time of year. And uh, a fine art workshop. So we focused on black and white and uh, HDR and uh, printed. And my workshops are much shorter. <laughs> They're only a couple days. Mm-hmm. Cool. So where was the workshop? Uh, I do it. Uh, I did this one here at my studio in Northern California. Okay. So there's a lot of great places to shoot up here. This yeah. is a destination in itself. So... Uh, I, I do it right out of my place here. I got awesome. a, a nice studio that converts in, downstairs converts into a, a really good classroom. Yeah, that, that's actually nice. I, I run three weekend workshops here in Minneapolis, and it's actually kind of nice not to have to fly somewhere and not to have to, to stay in hotels. So uh, it uh, makes it a little bit easier. Well, it does. You know all the cool places to uh, you know to go shoot, and also the good places to get food and things like that, which are you know important on a workshop. You got to eat right. too. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and go ahead. Oh, and then uh, right before that, I, I sort of did a, a different kind of back-to-back. I just finished uh, recording a live-action title uh, with Linda on um, high school senior portraiture. So we did that, and then I had a day off, and then we did the uh, started on the workshop. So it's go, go, go. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, when we get to this time of year, it's uh, it's Blitzkrieg. Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, <laughs> well, same here. I just uh, finished the Australia workshop, and now I'm actually taking a few days family vacation in San Francisco, so I'll be in your neck of the woods uh, yeah. in mid-March. And then it's New York Street Photography Workshop in April, and there is a workshop every month after that except for July and November. So it's going to be a, <laughs> a pretty busy year, but I'm looking forward to it, so it's yeah. going to be fun. It's good stuff. Yeah. I know I, I know that you're doing the New York Street Photography thing, because. Yep. I'm doing a San Francisco street photographer uh, photography thing. I think about the time you're uh, well May. I'm actually doing it in May, and actually one of my students is going to to both of them. So he's going to go oh. to the New York <laughs> one first and the San Francisco one. Oh, fun! Wow. Yeah. That's so we're cool. gonna we're what we're basically going to do is um, you know tap him for everything that he learned and steal <laughs> your information. <laughs> And then we'll use it in San Francisco. Oh, that's funny. And that, I'm, I'm going to be uh, doing one, co-leading one in Chicago with Dan Ablin. That's uh-huh. his city uh, in May as well. So, And they all filled up really quickly. So it's going to yeah. be fun. And people are coming from far. I'm really surprised. I mean, there are people coming from Australia to go to New York for a weekend workshop. Yeah. So um, New York is, uh, is an attractive destination for sure. And I'm really excited to discover San Francisco. Uh, I've never been there. So this little oh. family trip is going to be uh, my first time there. So it's going to be yeah, really cool. It's my personal favorite. Yeah, you know, well, that's I, good. But I, I'm biased. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. At Shutterstock, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, an advertisement, a video, or any other type of project. You can choose from over 30 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. And Shutterstock sources images from around the world and puts them at your fingertips. Many contributors to Shutterstock are professional photographers and artists, and Shutterstock reviews each image individually for content and quality before adding it to its library. And Shutterstock adds over 20,000 images each and every day. So every time you visit the site, 
you'll likely find something new. Plus, they've got flexible pricing. You can choose individual image packs or a monthly subscription for the best deal. And you can download 25 images per day with a standard subscription. And you can download any image and any size and pay only one price. Now, you can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account. You don't need a credit card, just an account and begin using Shutterstock to help you imagine what that next project could be like. And you can save your favorite images to a like box to review later. Then once you decide to purchase, just use the offer code TWIP314 and new accounts will receive 20% off any package. That's Shutterstock.com for 20% off new accounts and use the offer code TWIP314. And we'd like to thank Shutterstock for their support of This Week in Photo. So we're going to dive into the first stories. Uh, but before we do, Frederick wanted me to share a letter that he received from one of our listeners. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll, um, I'll read parts of it. And um, so here it goes. Hi, Frederick. I'm a longtime listener of TWIP. And your last podcast with Rick Salmon touched me in a special way. Rick mentioned that the most important part of Buddhism was health. He could not have been more right. And then he goes on to say, and his name is Patrick. He's from Ottawa, Canada. He goes on to saying that he had suffered a chronic disease for many years and had been bedridden for month and was really, really depressed about the whole situation, as we can understand. Then he goes on to, to um, explaining that he came across uh, TWIP a, a few years back, and this helped him stay current with technology. And he says, before TWIP, I wasn't into photography. I didn't really have my own gear, nor did I know what an f-stop was or aperture. I listened to the podcast, and my wife bought me books from Scott Kelby, Rick Salmon, and others. A few months passed, and I bought my first Canon XSI online from my bed, as he was bedridden at the time. And like you say, once in a while, I took lots of photos of my feet learning aperture. He goes on to say that, um, he says, I wanted you to know that you not only reach aspiring photographers, but also those looking to escape and become better at something. With photography, I can zone out and be elsewhere while making images I'm proud to show. I've taken a great liking to HDR photography, so my latest images are HDRs. I look forward every week for the show, and I truly love how you explain things and how you really get your guests to open up and get excited about photography. You all make it fun while tackling the tough subjects. Patrick from Ottawa, Canada. So thank you, Patrick. And I'm sure this was, um, Frederick was particularly touched to receive your, your letter. And, and I know this is true because I'm, I'm at the receiving end of those podcasts and, uh, and I get a lot out of, out of podcasts and they touch a lot of people's lives. So, um, so you guys keep up the good work, <laughs> Martin and Derek, and, uh, and, and Twip and Twip is is popular. I, I hear from a lot of listeners as well, so it's great. Yeah, that that's a terrific letter. That was nice of him to yeah. take the time to write that for us. Yeah. Absolutely, that's very nice. Yeah, it's nice when people take the time. So yeah. you know, pe people usually take more time writing negative comments, <laughs> but the positive <laughs> comments sometimes you know people don't think of writing them, but it's always well appreciated. So it's awesome. Indeed. <laughs> so news number one, story number one. A photographer leaves $7,000 worth of gear on a bullet train in Japan and he gets it all back. So, image, imaging resource editor-in-chief 
Dave Etchels, was in Japan on business recently and he got on a bullet train and for some reason, you know, he was on the wrong train. And you know how things go fast, you figure out, oh, I'm on the wrong train. So he quickly gathered his stuff, got out to change at the next station. And once the train left, he realized that he had left his gear packed with $7,000 worth of equipment. And I think it was photo equipment as well as video stuff. Um, so in most countries, he said that gear would have been considered lost forever. But he was in Japan and he ended up getting every single piece of his gear back after the Japanese train officials tracked the bag down for him and then they forwarded it to the closest rail t station to where he was. So this is pretty amazing. And maybe this is something that is, you know, would not happen in every city. I mean, would this situation have ended so, uh, you know, so well in L.A. or in Paris or in London? Who knows? Um, but um, but Martin, I would like to start with you since you live in Japan. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> do you think this is kind of uh, typical of Japan that you'd have more chance of, of something? I mean, being a happy ending like this? Absolutely. Yeah. Really? If you, yeah, I mean, you, you people here, uh, obviously there's crime and, uh, and unfortunately a lot of the crime is, is mainly done by people that come from outside of Japan. Um, but you know, there, there's elements in the Japanese society. A lot of the, the people that commit crime are usually, um, they're, they're sort of led into it by the, by the Yakuza as well sometimes, you know, so it's, which is like the, the Japanese mafia. Uh, and th there's a lot of different um, a lot of different reasons why people would commit crime, but it's not it's not that common. And and in public places like this, uh, most people they wouldn't even think about walking away with it. It's it's just not in the in the Japanese psyche. So they you know what what will have happened is they they'll probably won't even think about what's inside or what the price is, or you know the the value of the contents, and they'll just uh, they'll just let someone know or. Uh, you know, it's pro probably just a case that nobody, those bullet trains get pretty, pretty packed. Mm -hmm. And unless the, they got to the other end and everyone walks off and the bag is still there, people aren't even going to know that it's an unattended bag. They're, you know, they're just going to think, okay, well, this, you know, well, they wouldn't even think about it. It would just be sitting up there on the, on the bag rail. So, um, I would imagine that the people around didn't even know that it was, it had been left. Uh, so then, the, you know, obviously the officials will catch up with it and they'll get someone to go on. They've probably got a description of the bag. And uh, they just walked on and, and had probably checked with the people that were still there and found that it wasn't anyone's and walked off with it. And, you know, it's it's really, it's it's surprising. And I'm sure that, you know, from my original uh, homeland of England, you probably would have, you know, you, you'd have a hard job keeping keeping your bag your own. Uh, even if you were still sitting under it, so it's uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's not it's not surprising for Japan, but I think that you know on on a world scale, it's it's pretty cool, and I think that most Japanese people are are quite proud of the fact that that they those sort of things happen occasionally. Okay, um, Derek, have you had any? Have you lost any major piece of equipment ever? Well, <clears throat> well, I, I've had it stolen. Uh, Stolen? <laughs> yes. Uh, not in Japan, but in, uh, in California. Uh, but, you know, just to kind of add on to what Martin is saying, I, 
in a when I've traveled in Asia, I've had very just very positive experiences in general in terms of interactions with people, um, helping me with stuff. Uh, you know, oh, this, the thing where you get lost and uh, you know, and someone actually like takes time out from their job to you know to help get you where you need to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, and I had one experience uh, when I was in Beijing for the um, for the Olympics. Where I was, I was just dead tired, and I kind of fell asleep standing up on a subway, and uh, <laughs> and it was, you know it was really crowded. Every, you know, all the seats were taken. I was stand up, kind of hanging onto this pole, and I fell asleep. And uh, this uh, this uh, man that was I don't know, he's probably in his forties, came and uh, grabbed me by the arm, and he took uh, his his child and wife were, were sitting on the bench there. Uh, in the subway, and he he put the child up on his uh, wife's lap, and he sat me down uh, right in between them, you know, and uh, just you know out of the just out of the blue like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, the child ended up sitting on my lap, and it was pretty cool, you know. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, it was just a great experience, and I just have had a, a number of positive things like that. So this story doesn't uh, doesn't surprise me at no. all. But see, I, I doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me anywhere, actually. I, I really think most people are good. And yes, there are bad apples everywhere. But I'm, I'm always impressed at how generous and how friendly are people are in, in any city. If, you, if you're respectful and, um, and you, if you're patient and try to communicate in their own language, that helps too. Um, but even like in Paris, how so people say, oh, Par- Parisians are rude. And, and every time I lead a workshop there, my uh, workshop participants come back with a completely different idea of, of Parisians. Is that people are so friendly. I mean, people will literally go the opposite direction that, from where they were going to give you direction and actually take you to where you need to go. They will take the time to, to walk a half a mile with you to make sure you get to, to your destination if you ask for, for directions. People are super friendly. And I think people are, are quite good everywhere in the world. Well, um, I, I, I think this, yeah, I think this sort of leads into kind of a, a nice sort of side story, which is uh, traveling, you know, and, uh, and how, 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 to, how to travel properly. And one of the, I think what you're talking about, I would guess, is that you're, you're pretty respectful to people. Uh, when you travel, and uh, and I think that goes a long ways. I've I have noticed that if if I'm in Europe or Asia or uh, anywhere, if I you know take a little time to learn a few phrases mm-hmm. uh, in in whatever the language is there, and uh, try to start out that way and uh, be respectful in my attitude, that you know, I generally have really good experiences, and yeah. and I think I think. Uh, I think a big part of that is, is the person who's initiating, uh, you know, whatever the, the contact is there. Mm-hmm. And that, I would guess that's probably why you've had pretty good experiences, too, is that you approach people in a respectful way. Yeah, and that's something I also, you know, uh, talk to my, to my students. That's part of the culture. And, and uh, you know, a smile goes a long way. And when you, even if you don't speak the language, don't assume people will speak English uh, not everybody does, and uh, and Paris being the number one tourist destination in the world, um, not everybody speaks English. And uh, if if you 
don't assume and and start speaking slowly and maybe you know with hand gesture you'll get your message across and they'll be very happy to help you but yeah it's all a matter of respect and uh um martin now have you had any have you lost any camera gear or have you had any stolen in your career no luckily i mean but i'm i'm pretty paranoid i i generally keep things uh, pretty close by um but uh, you know i think on on what what you're talking about there you know that I think there's a there's a difference between um, obviously I, I totally agree that being respectful and and a smile certainly goes a long way, but I think that you we've still got to be you know back to the to the to the point that we're talking about here. You've still got to be um, aware that there are certain places. Any city has carries risk, and I think some cities obviously carry more risk than others. And there's you know th- there are places where I really would not like to leave my stuff unattended even in a hotel room yeah. um, and there are places where you can't even walk down the street without fear of having it ripped off your back and maybe getting you know injured in the process yeah. so you know I think that there's the best you know if we were to give the listeners some sort of advice on that um, I mean I've traveled in countries where where people I've never done it myself because I, I don't travel that much in these sort of places but I've traveled in countries where people will put black tape over the over mm-hmm. the name of the cameras. I mean, that seems doesn't seem like a, a great idea to me. People know he's got black tape on his camera. It must be really expensive. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, like try try to carry if you're doing street photography, try, try to carry your gear in a in a bag that doesn't scream camera bag, or mm-hmm. or you know maybe some people take take the um, change the straps so that it doesn't have Nikon or Canon or whatever exactly, it is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of things that you can do to travel more sensibly uh, and not sort of say say to people, just scream, okay, I've got $10,000 worth of gear on my back. Would yeah. you like it? Uh, that, there, there, there's a few things that you can do to, to really safeguard against that. But at the end of the day, I mean, it, it's only money. And, and my, my, um, my biggest tip is to make sure that everything's fully insured and don't, don't rely always on your household content insurance because a lot of that doesn't doesn't ca- uh, carry over to foreign countries uh, you know you, m- you need to make sure sometimes it, it only covers you up to a certain amount and with the price of some of the gear that people are traveling with these days you, you're really better off actually getting that itemized uh, insurance for taking this stuff out of the home um, and then if anything happens you just you know there's no point in trying to stop someone if someone's gonna got a knife pointed at you or a gun you let them let them go with it don't you know don't worry too much about it at the end of the day it's it's more important to stay alive and walk away from the situation and if you've got insurance you can do that a little bit more uh, easily yeah and and replacement insurance is actually not that expensive either because um they're you know replacement you'll actually get that same piece of equipment not just value because the value of your two-year-old Canon 5D Mark II, a three-year-old camera is, you know, when it's stolen, it's not going to be a whole lot, not enough to buy, uh, to buy, not enough to buy a new one. So replacement insurance is something people should really look into. Um, mm. But I agree. And even uh, when when we're in the metro, and I feel, I feel completely safe in the metro in Paris, even by myself, I could be late at night. I, I never, I mean, there are neighborhoods where I'm much more cautious and it's common sense. I mean, if you have a backpack and it's a crowded metro where everybody's standing and you're stuck, you know, you're really close to each other, then you put your backpack in front of you and you don't put your wallet in your back pocket. I mean, those are mm. common sense things that um, 
um, people who are ill intentions will you know spot pretty quickly, and you'll never know when that something is missing. You'll be way too late. So mm, yeah. Any other tip, uh, Derek, that you can give our listeners about traveling safely with expensive gear? Well, I think you guys have uh, covered it quite well. I uh, I'm, I'm I keep it pretty tight. <laughs> I keep it very close <laughs> to me. I don't I don't leave my bag in the car or in the anywhere. I I carry a smaller bag and I just carry it with me all the time, and it's just a lot easier that way. Keep yeah. it close to my body. That's right. That's why I only uh, do a, one camera, one lens. That way, it's. Uh, but uh, yeah, some I'm sure like Martin, somebody who wants to who would like who would steal your backpack would probably have a hard time running too far with it because it's probably pretty heavy with a lot of heavy well, gear. <laughs> yeah, it, it depends what you what the what the travel is. I yeah. mean, for it's still I, I rarely have a bag that's under 15 kilograms, that's even right. if I'm doing street photography. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. The yeah. the thing is, is that you know they. If they're running with it, they've got adrenaline. They've just stolen something. They'll they'll go. They, you know, yeah. they they wouldn't make away with it. Um, it's just really a, a case of trying to keep yourself safe and yeah. and yeah. Yeah, and and true. No no camera is worth risking your life, and no picture is worth risking your life either. Um, and in street photography, that's something that you just have to. You know, if if the situation feels wrong, just go <laughs> well you know that that's a good point i mean i i actually the only photos if if my bag was stolen and, the, and the only my bag was stolen the only photos that i would lose is the ones that i'd shot that day yeah because every time i get to a hotel i i always back up the previous day's images and i make sure i've got a copy of them in on my laptop and then in two other places and usually at the one of those um they're they're never in the camera bag so you know, I've got one in a, in an inside pocket, and another another copy is somewhere else. So unless they actually took the the shirt off my back, then they wouldn't get, uh, and my laptop and my other my other bag. <laughs> you know, they're they're not going to get every photo. So you know, it's it's I think it, it is important to try and make sure that you keep your photos separate from your bag, and and if you do back up, don't put the backup in your camera bag. That's right. That's right. Cool. Well, I think we've covered it. So now on to story number two. Um, well, maybe you guys watched the Oscars on Sunday. Um, I watched bits and pieces of it because I can't sit that long. But Ellen DeGeneres was the host. And uh, at one point in the, um, during the show, she went down to the, to the audience to take a selfie um, with some celebrities that were there. So she her selfie became the most retweeted photograph ever um and in the selfie for those of you who haven't seen seen it yet or haven't uh, watched the show um uh, several celebrities gathered jennifer lawrence brad pitt bradley cooper meryl streep streep yes uh kevin spacey and so forth and others and uh, the shot was taken using a Samsung phone and we need to know that Samsung was one of the major sponsors of the Oscars which I didn't know until I read this. Ellen posted the photograph on Twitter and within an hour it had been retweeted over 1 million times and since then the photograph has been shared over 3 million times smashing the previous record held by Barack Obama for the photograph that he had shared on Twitter after winning his second term in office. So, well, first of all, that's just mind-boggling, just how 
quickly and how um, viral a picture can, can go and the power of social media. But now, a few days later, questions around who actually owns the copyright of the photo have risen due to its popularity and many requests to share or use the photo for editorial purposes. Well, the thing is, Ellen, Ellen wasn't tall enough, her arm wasn't long enough to take the picture, so um, Bradley Cooper offered to take the picture and he was in front of her, so he took the picture so who owns the copyright? We all know in photography, the copyright owner is the person who clicks the shutter. And so is Bradley Cooper actually the owner of the photograph, of, uh, of the copyright owner and not Ellen? And could Samsung or others who help compose the photograph lay some claims to it as well? So uh, did you guys see the picture or watch the show? Yeah, I saw it live, so yeah. I was, uh, you know, watching the whole thing as That was it a fun part. That was a really fun part in the Oscar. I thought she well, did a good she, job. Well, she she did a great job yeah. of uh, going down into the audience a lot. I mean, a lot of her bits were were down there, and um, and you know that that was a particularly good uh, crew that they had uh, right there. So uh, yeah, it was it was good, and and I'm, I'm sure they had a little heads up. Maybe Ellen claims they didn't have the heads up about the or Samsung claimed that they didn't have a heads up about the selfie, but uh, obviously they knew that uh, Ellen was going to be down bopping around uh, down there. So, and uh, Samsung definitely, uh, you know, that was, that was uh, PR heaven for them. Mm -hmm. You know, they were big, big sponsor of the show. And uh, you know, the other part that uh, you didn't mention that it was a, you know, nice little twist to all this. When she was backstage, uh, she wasn't using the Samsung phone to take uh, shots of her <laughs> with a celebrity, she's actually using her iPhone, uh -huh. which uh, which uh, I thought that was um, that was pretty interesting too. So <laughs> it's it's all it's all good stuff. Uh, but you know, technically, like you said, uh, Bradley Cooper took the photo. Yep, I saw it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's his. And and I love it that uh, Oloclip did a post and they said, well, if they would have used an iPhone with Oloclip uh, fisheye, then you know everyone could have gotten the shot a lot more easily. So I thought that was kind of, uh, that was cute too. Yeah. So technically, I mean, uh, he is the copyright owner. Not that I think it's going to be a big deal. I mean, they're all friends and nobody is in to get any money out of this. But um, Samsung doesn't have any claims to the image. I mean, obviously. What do you think, Martin? Well, it would depend on, on the sponsorship deal. I mean, they could, write a, they could write a clause in the sponsorship deal saying that we're going to do this and, we, and we're going to have you do these selfies, but every image that comes off that camera is the property of Samsung. You know, so, and if, and, you know, if it's a work-for-hire sort of contract, then they've got every right to do that. Um, but I think if that was the case, that would also be included in this story. And so, yeah. you know, it's, it's Bradley Cooper's photo. Um, but, you know... I uh, I have a, a photo from of myself in Iceland last year. I set it up, set the camera up on a on with a on a tripod. I framed it. I set the exposure, and I walked out onto a rock and had someone press the shutter button. That doesn't really mean it's his, his photo because I set it up, and all of the intellectual input there was mine. It was just a, a, me a mechanism to strip the shutter. Yeah. So it, it really it really would depend. But you know, I think in this case, it's just it, it's. Sounds like it's Bradley's photo, and I, uh, you know, I, the whole thing. I mean, I'm I'm relatively distanced from this. We don't really get it here in in Japan, and 
And I, uh, I, I actually, I'm sitting there saying, "Oh, there's Merrill Streep." I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm so distant from this stuff. I didn't even realize it. The only person that I recognized instantly was Brad Pitt, and then yeah. I saw Kevin Spacey. But, and then, you know, so until you actually read the names out, I didn't even know who was in the photo. So you're probably asking the wrong person. I'm not going to get that excited about yeah. it. Yeah, but um, yeah, and maybe it was completely spontaneous. Maybe you know, yeah, and that would not surprise me of. Ellen DeGeneres. I think that's in her personality. I mean, even the the pizza guy coming, who knows if that was planned or not? Maybe not. He looked pretty surprised to be delivering pizza on the floor. So I don't know. <laughs> but I thought that was entertaining. And, and, and the selfie, um, that was, a, you know, that was fun. That's pretty impressive. I mean, a million over an hour. That's well, crazy. That's a- that's a valuable photo. I mean, uh, it will have to get sorted out because yeah. uh, that's a valuable photo right there, and, and mm. it's a piece of it's a piece of history. Yeah. Uh, now on top of that, and uh, it would be a, a tremendous image for, uh, instance, for Samsung to use in a marketing campaign. Mm. Uh, so there's, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, they're all friends on camera uh, when it's happening. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, <laughs> this this is uh, this is. I mean. I would like to be the owner of that photo. So, yeah. um, you know, this is a, this is going to be fun to watch it sort out. Some some lawyers are going to be busy on this one, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I hope we 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 find out how it turns out. Just because it is sort of interesting, not that maybe uh, we care so much about this particular image, but uh, it is about precedent, and it is about uh, you know this is a cultural trend right now, and it is good to know. Uh, you know how, how what the ruling is on these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, on to story number three. Um, Jezebel offers ten thousand dollars for unretouched images of Lena Dunham in Vogue. I think that's how we say her name, Lena Dunham. Honestly, I don't know who she is because I don't watch much TV at all. So, writer, director, and actress Lena Dunham was recently photographed by Annie Libovitz and appeared on the cover of Vogue last month. She is the creator and director of HBO series Girls, and she's a well-known feminist and activist. So, um, the woman's site Jezebel offered up to $10,000 for unretouched images of the actress. Jezebel claims their request wasn't about seeing Dunham's real body, nor was it about shaming her for working for a known photoshopper like Vogue. And they say, I quote, This is about Vogue and what Vogue decides to do with a specific woman who has very publicly stated that she's just fine the way she is and the world needs to get on board with that. Just how resistant is Vogue to that idea? unaltered images will tell. So Jezebel did receive the unretouched images and discovered that they were not all that different from the final edited image. And um, another magazine, Bitch Magazine, called out Jezebel claiming that if this really was about going after Vogue, why wouldn't they have offered up a similar reward for unaltered photos of other covers, such as Kate Winslet, Sandra Bullock, and so forth, which actually were a lot more retouched than this one. So anyhow, I saw the before and after, and honestly, I was very surprised because I'm used to seeing some really touched up images on, you know, the before and after with Vogue. And this one, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between the before and after. So I'm not sure that was worth $10,000. What do you guys think? 
I agree. <laughs> I, I I like the the like the known Photoshopper magazine. Like it's something yeah. that that is uh you know um, like it's a crime or something. Uh, you know the the whole the whole issue of uh, you know retouching images for magazine covers. I mean, actually, I'm going to be curious to see more what you think. Uh, actually, but maybe I'll toss it back to you here in a second. But I mean, I the, the whole thing about uh, digital retouching of any type that I've always thought is that um, I, I'm not against uh, retouching. I just want disclosure. And uh, you know, so for instance, if if an image has been you know heavily uh, worked in Photoshop or some other application, I think you know there should be some sort of a liner note about that uh, somewhere, just so just so that we know what's going on. You know, is this a unretouched photo? Is this a, uh, is this a retouched photo? Is this a news photo? Is this a glamour photo? You know, is this artistic, fine art? You know, all that kind of. Just so we know what's going on, I, I think that's that's more the issue for me. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you think, Martin? Don't you think that from I mean anything that you'd see on a fashion magazine like Vogue, I mean we assume that they're heavily retouched, right? Yeah, I that's think the that trend. the it's just you know that that is the trend. I mean you you think that the I mean how heavily will depend on how good looking the person that's in the photo is in the first place. And they do tend to make everyone look look quite incredible. Um, the only thing that that I get concerned about with this sort of photo uh, retouching is that, you know, there are probably like teenage girls and on you know teenage guys as well that are out there. They're they're in a, a phase of their life where they're starting to feel a little bit self confident about their bodies and how they look, and they're pla they're like forever being. Um, having these images of, of beautiful, perfect people thrust in their face and they start to feel self-confident and that can lead to all sorts of issues with a teenager, um, which I, I think is, is possibly a concern. But I think, you know, even teenagers, are they're not stupid. They're, they're, all, they're all on the ball. They know that a lot of this stuff is, is photo, uh, photoshopped as well. So, you know, maybe, maybe even that isn't such a concern. I mean, you look at the, you look at kids with computers now. You get two-year-olds using iPhones. Like, you know, my my mum would have a problem with it, but a two-year-old is t totally uh, totally at home with that sort of technology. So they they're getting more savvy as well. So you know, maybe I think it's just not a not that big a deal. Um, True. We expect we expect it these days, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you were meaning self-conscious, right? You know, self-conscious about their their image, and yeah, yeah, yeah I I think um, that I, I, that's a tough that's a tough conversation because, I mean, I I'm around teenagers a lot, and uh, mm. I re and I remember being a teenager, uh, and uh, some claim I never left it, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, so it, it's a it's a tough time, regardless if we have photoshopped magazine covers or, yeah. or not. You know, it's a tough time for. And I, my impression is, um, as I watch uh, these kids I'm around a lot, is that what they're really comparing themselves to and what they're worried about is compared to the other kids, uh, compared to their peer groups. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. that is that is the driving force, and that motivates uh, them as to how they dress and you know what clothes they buy and. You know how they walk out the door and all that kind of, and who they're seen with all that stuff that there is tremendous pressure there um some could argue that uh, uh young women in particular uh, they see a magazine covers and they feel pressure to look that way i don't know and I, i'm i'm curious to see what you 
how you feel about that, Valerie, but, um, you know, again, what I see mostly is kids worried about the kids in their immediate peer group. That seems to be the, the number one thing. I think so, and I have teenagers, and uh, and I don't think they really care about those magazine covers. I mean, don't you think they all end up kind of looking the same anyways? It's it's a little bit plasticky to me. It, and The <laughs> magazine covers? Or yeah, the, no, or the, or the, or not the kids. The, kids. <laughs> the magazine covers. Well, actually, the kids, too. You know, sometimes I wait at the high school, and, and every girl has the fake, you know, the spray tan. And, you know, it's it's Minnesota in January. You know, uh -huh. it's it's 30 below zero. And uh, everybody's tan like they were just at the beach. And they all look the same. Yeah, we, we, we joke about that, too. Uh, it's more, uh, you know, in, in my world here, it's, it's more that they all dress the same pretty much. True, do, yeah. Do their hair very similar. I mean, they're all influencing each other. And if you don't really know them, it is very difficult sometimes to, to tell who's who in a, in a, in a crowd of them. But, uh, but, but it's I always been like that. Yeah, yeah, it's always. I mean, it was that way when I was a teenager too. Yeah. So I remember my mom. You know, uh, when I was uh, in high school, she bought me uh, J.C. Penney uh, denims jeans instead of Levi jeans, oh and, which was it's like the most horrible thing in the world. I was, I was, you know, you don't really expect me to wear these because um, <laughs> you know, you know, Levi's were that was what everyone wore, and that's yeah. what you wore if you were a cool kid. No one wore J.C. Penney jeans then so you know so and i remember how devastating that was like oh god she's gonna make me wear these oh yeah i mean there is a there is an, an age group that's very sensitive to yeah fitting in and wanting to wear the you know what everybody's wearing and it and sometimes i mean actually that's why sometimes it's better to be in a school where everybody wears a uniform that way you don't have that pressure of uh you know having to have the the expensive uh, trendy clothes but um, but yeah I, I think kids are more aware of what others of their peers more than what's on the cover of, of magazines but that also brings another um, thing to mind for me now okay we retouch magazine covers we all expect that but now our brides and grooms uh, I, I don't shoot weddings I don't even do portraits anymore uh, but do they expect to lose a few pounds on their wedding picture and just <laughs> I, I mean where do we stop I mean yeah. how far does that go I don't even know but I, I'm sure I, I do a lot of portraits so <laughs> <laughs> It goes. Um, it depends on 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 the client, um, and uh, I I I don't retouch everything, but I'll do some retouching on picks, you know, on their favorites. And the my approach to retouching is this: I I want to present them with a photo that represents them on a very good day. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know that that's what we're after there. But I I'm not I'm not using the liquid command or any of that kind of stuff. I'm not. We're not taking pounds off. We're not gonna. Yeah you know, do anything like that. And then the other part of it is, of course, as photographers, you know, how we use light and how we pose, yeah. uh, you know, it can help tremendously. And if you have someone that that's a, a bit heavier than they like, you know, uh, when they see pictures of themselves, you can do a lot with posing by the way that you angle the body and the way you have them, um, you know, placing their weight on their, their back foot, maybe pointing a toe toward the camera and getting a little bit of angle there, having the lighting not be this, you know, broad lighting on them. Uh, it's amazing. And, and they and they will look out, they can look absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I think, you know, trying to get a, a 
image of somebody on how they would look on a great day. We have those days where we wake up and our hair is right. And you go, I want, you know, I want a photo this day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I want a photo of myself. That's that's how I feel. It's like, okay, the straight, remove the stray hair, you know, the dark circles under the eyes and, you know, some skin imperfection if you have a pimple or something. Uh, I, I find that that's, those are great tools and it's so easy to do now. But, um, yeah, I mean, taking off 10 pounds of uh, somebody up for a portrait, I, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's all in the posing. And um, but I'm sure a lot of people knowing that it can be done because they see that on magazines all the time will request it. You know, can you, uh, you know, take 10 pounds off or 20 pounds? Well, off? I, I think the, the I think the funny thing that I get sometimes I don't get it so much anymore is my my clients are a bit more sophisticated uh, now, too. But the thing that I used to get is, uh, well, you know, can't can't you just photoshop it you know to make you look good and like that's some sort of like magic button that you push on the computer and it automatically you know happens and uh i go well no i mean it's actually i use photoshop as a tool like a carpenter would use a you know a hammer you know that kind of thing uh so it's not just like this automatic thing that you push to make it look good and the reason why they say that is because they didn't want to pay more for it, right? It's just like this. Mm. Really, the computer does all the work. There's no artistry to it, and then, you know, then that that goes down a bad road. I I don't like that road. That's the same thing as like that's a great picture. What camera did you use? Well, <laughs> what different? It's not the camera. It's the, yeah, it was yeah. you know it was the person behind it. Yeah. So Martin, not much retouching with the snow monkeys or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. You know, years ago, I used to be a bit of a, a traditionalist in that, you know, if something was in the frame, it remained in the frame. Yeah. Um, now, I, I'm not quite as, as concerned about that. And say, for example, there's, like this year on our first trip, there was not a lot of snow. Um, uh, there, was, there was enough and it was really nice. But you, there are times when you might get a bit of a dark rock that's sticking through the snow in the corner of the frame. And I've I've got no worries about doing a content aware delete and getting rid of that rock now. Um, so for me, a little bit of photo retouching is not is not that big a deal as mm -hmm. long as it's as long as it's not really changing the image. And it also, it depends on what you're doing with it. If you're going to enter into a competition that doesn't allow any any kind of digital um, modification, then you better leave that rock in or just make sure that you that you frame the photo so that it's not there. Um, yeah. As far as far as making a a snow monkey look beautiful, they, <laughs> you know, they, they, it doesn't really cross my mind. It's um, yeah. obviously, obviously we're not going to. They're um, I find that a lot of the the subjects that we shoot sometimes the snow monkeys have been in a fight. They've got a nasty scratch across their face, um, and it would be a beautiful photo if they didn't. But I, I probably wouldn't go so far as to remove that scratch. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things. I know that there are some people that will do a hell of a lot to their images, even wildlife images. And as as Derek touched on earlier, um, for me, I think that's fine. It's art. We can do, we can do what we want with our images. Um, but you just need to be careful of how you use the images. And if, if, it's, if you're going to post it somewhere or you're going to apply to a competition that uh, doesn't allow it, then you've got to be prepared to get burned. Or just, you know, even just showing it people. If someone comes along and says, oh, wow, look at that, that's incredible. Um, and, you, and you try to say that you set it all up and it was, it was an amazing scene, and yet you actually just cloned in four or five more horses or whatever, <laughs> then, then, you know, it's probably, gonna, it's probably not going to go the right way. But it, it's art at the end of the day, and, and I, I try not to get too, uh, 
too upset if if someone wants to do that sort of thing. It's you know, yeah, it's basically yeah, you know, it's, it's if it's on the the cover of Vogue, like Valerie's saying, then we expect it to be retouched. You know, we anticipate yeah. it. If it's uh, on the cover of Time, you know that, that that's a different thing. Yeah. And, mm. uh, you know, yeah. and and so we just have to know where the edges are, and it, uh, you know, we're we're seeing this, um, you know, same same thing. If it's a, a national journalism photo contest or worldwide uh, journalism photo contest, you better not be retouching your stuff if you're gonna, you know, enter it in right. there and, and claim that is you captured it. Uh, that way, and you, if you're on putting the cover on time, you, you know you're not, you shouldn't be making OJ look you know really any worse than he already looks, uh, you know, the, <laughs> in order to get your point across. Uh, so, yeah, that that's I, we just have to know where those lines are. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm still hoping to see more natural-looking women on fashion magazines. I mean, natural beauty to me is is beauty. And um, and having sometimes it's so retouched that there's probably not even an inch of of the face that's theirs, and <laughs> and that is just shocking. And and sometimes it's pretty obvious too. And it's like, well, if I can tell <laughs> it's been retouched, then it's you know, then it's not done right or it's just overdone. I mean, sometimes even I've seen pictures that the before and after on even Vogue where they had to remove like an arm that was sticking one way or something or <laughs> a leg that wasn't supposed to be there and they remove it. It's pretty obvious sometimes. So it's kind of surprising actually that uh, a, a magazine of that caliber would, uh, you know, not do a reshoot instead of going to those extents to fix it. Post, well, it's but. it's like Derek says though. I mean, it's, it's you have to just uh, approach these things with the right um, the right expectations. And yeah. and I think for a lot of people, if if they're looking at Vogue, they already expect it to be like that. Yeah. If you're looking at National Geographic, you're going to know that it's pretty much you know out of the camera or with some generic uh, generic changes. It's not going to be totally uh, you know. It's, it's pretty much going to be that they have their reputation uh, staked on on having making sure that images are are accurate representations of the world so you know it's what you know what you can trust and you know what you can't and i think as long as you approach it with that way it's it's pretty much okay yeah with Good. me at least yeah well before we jump into our listener q a segment i would like to thank another sponsor of this episode of twip and that is drobo.com this episode of TWIP is brought to you by Drobo. Drobos are blazingly fast, high-capacity hard drives that are built on new technology designed for high-performance media editing. The Drobo 5D sports both Thunderbolt and USB 3 interfaces, while the 5N transfers files using gigabit Ethernet on your network. Each has multi-core CPUs and a whole lot more going on under the hood. And the super cool Drobo Mini, my favorite, is designed for portability. It weighs less than three pounds and also sports Thunderbolt and USB 3 interfaces. And it also has an accelerator card that boosts performance when using applications like Adobe Lightroom, Aperture, and iPhoto. And for TWIP listeners, Drobo is knocking $50 off the price of either of these two units. Just enter the code TWIP50 on checkout at drobostore.com. Now on to our listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer a question that has been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. And today, there is a question by Jeff Harmon from our Google Plus community page. 
I'm an advanced amateur hobbyist photographer, very much in it for the love of it. I have a day job that pays the bills and not necessarily looking to change my hobby into a job. I just got invited to license some of my photos with the new 500px Prime site. Is there a downside that I should be aware of if I license a few photos um, that 500px tagged for this? I have never licensed any of my photos. Any reason not to give them exclusive commercial licensing? I know it's only 30% of the sale, but that is better than 100% of $0 that I have for them now. He's got a point there. <laughs> okay, who wants to take this one? You know, I um, I actually saw this question come in on, on my own podcast community as well while I was in Hokkaido, and uh, I haven't had a chance to, to reply yet. Uh, but So it'll be good if I can jump in and just throw a throw my uh, my six yen's worth at it. <laughs> Go ahead, um, Mark. But um, I think the, the thing is here, um, I'll say from the start that if, if Jeff is, is not currently licensing his work through any other agency and he is... Um, you know, he's happy with the conditions, then, then go for it. Um, but, you know, having looked at the, the, um, the overall um, Prime 500px uh, or the 500px Prime site, uh, I think that uh, just a generic statement, I think that their, um, their licensing is a little bit um, too, a little bit on the lax side. You know, it's, um, they, they basically, if I'm just going to go back to the page now and take a look, it says uh, one option covers it all. For $250 per photo, you get the highest resolution and it's always royalty free without work, uh, with a worldwide any media usage license. No expiries and no seat limits. Uh, that means unlimited print and digital impressions forever. So, I mean, that's for $250, that's quite a, a wide uh, ranging license. And I, um, but you know, like like Jeff said, if he's if he's getting zero for his work right now, you know, it's 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 feeding the machine, sure, but it's actually it's still a lot better than ten dollars for anything you want to do, um, and that's the the sort of thing that you you hear about these days as well. So, uh, the, I think the the other part, the last part that he that would is probably concerning him is the exclusivity part. And it's so what we need to be clear on here, and I, I'm pretty sure that I'm correct on this, although I haven't seen the small print, is that we're not talking about exclusive as in, you know, one person licenses it and they can do what they want with it and it's their exclusive image. Um, it's just that he, he's not, he would not be able to license the same image through another agency. Um, or maybe even so, sell it himself. Yeah, maybe, maybe even sell it himself. A lot of the time, it, you're you're okay to do um, to do fine art prints, but they are sometimes with with the clause that they are um, they're limited edition and things like that. So I mean, he needs to look at the small print around the exclusivity part. But I think if he's got no plans to license the image through another agency, and he doesn't necessarily want to use the images to create prints, um, you know, depending on the small print, he may be able to do that anyway. Then I think you know, I would say go for it. It's um, it's not a lot of money um, when you compare it to the the old licensing models, but it's not it's not bad. And and as he says, it's it's better than one hundred percent of zero. That's so right. yeah, Derek, uh, to, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Derek. No, Derek. What do you think? Thank you, Martin. That's uh, true. Um, I mean, then he if 
if his picture ends up being sold as a poster or a postcard, he really has nothing to say, right? Yes, well, no, it's no. That's exactly it. Okay, he, yeah. He's once he's sold it, it's it's yeah. gone. Yeah. Okay. So, Derek, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, I think you have to think it all the way through, and as Martin was saying, you've got to read it closely, and uh, maybe even talk it over with somebody who's smart about this stuff. You know, just so that you're really aware of all the ramifications. Um, because, I mean, personally, I don't like my personal feelings. I don't like deals that are that loose. Uh, I, I, I like, in, in my case, I like, you know, first, you know, North American rights. I, you know, that's cool. You sell an image. They can use it for a purpose and uh, that purpose only. That's what they bought. But, you know, they don't they don't own it beyond that. And if they go to use it for something else, uh, you know, then, you know, you still have claim to a piece of the action there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I. I'm personally not comfortable just turning over images just like boo all together. No matter what happens, you know you got your uh, you got your uh, hundred bucks or whatever. That 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 makes me nervous. I don't like it. Um, you, you know you know what the thing is that I think that that's how I have worked for years and and how I still do licenses for for a small number of images. But I think that the you know the world's changed over the last ten years to the point yeah. where. If you if you want to obviously if you're working for a, you, you've been a, um, you're being paid to do an assignment then you still want to try and get those those sort of prices or that kind of licensing for the you know for the resulting images and and that's you know I'm I'm definitely not saying that uh, I'm not uh, arguing with you in any way Derek but I think that the the thing is is that you know it's these days it's kind of cool if you are even that's good I yeah, well, get both sides. Well, no. The, the, the thing, the thing is, is I mean, like a, a year ago, I joined uh, Offset, which is a, a subsidiary of Shutterstock. They're like a sister company of Shutterstock, brand new. Um, they've got similar licensing, and it's royalty free, but they do have tighter reins on the images. You're not allowed to use it for uh, for merchandise, and there's there's a lot of things that you can't do with it. Um, and I, I mean, for me, that was a huge leap of faith. Uh, because I was I was holding out for for the um, the traditional you know, the non royalty free the license for a specific use just like you were saying there Derek, um, but the the reality is that I was selling less and less of those kind of licenses each year because you know there's so much quality work already out there and it's it's going for a lot cheaper and it's usually royalty free now so I think uh, as the playing field's flattened and, and and you know the world changes then this kind of deal is it's not the sort of thing. Five five years ago, I would have said, run the other way, you know, throw your hat at it and run the other way. Um, but I I think it's you know it, uh, at the current with the current state of affairs, I think it's it sounds like it's not as bad as some of the deals you can get. Um, and you know it's it's one of those things that I'm I'm less likely to say you know just don't do it now than I was even just a few years ago. Yeah. So I mean, when people ask me about microstock. Uh, usually what I say is, you know, it can be a, a really good revenue stream for you. But what I advise is uh, then then shoot for stock. In other words, uh, yeah. you know, learn about it. Learn what sells. Uh, get good at uh, the yeah. thing, the kind of images that people want. Shoot specifically for that. And then, you know, go ahead and, you know, sign with the whoever gives you what you think is the best deal for you and 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 just look at it uh that way and, and then i think you know you're not really putting your your 
your best work, uh, you know, something that, you know, once in a lifetime shot uh, up on a stock site, uh, you know, where who knows and yeah. then on 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 my my work that you know my work that i really like i i would rather use it to uh you know to to for my own marketing to promote me uh yeah. for my uh, on socials and my brand awareness and all that sort of stuff and and get paid nothing for it but at least have it still tied to me so yeah. I, there's a lot of ways to, to to skin this and so i i'll still go back to what i was originally saying just think it all the way through oh and, yeah and the thing that I always ask people is like, you know, so what's your plan? <laughs> you know, what, what's your plan? Is it just to make a few bucks? Uh, you know, in his case, he doesn't want to replace his day job. Uh, you know, or is it to grow as a photographer? Is it, you know, wh what is your plan? And then, you know, go from there. Yeah, you know, I I 100% um, I agree in that, you know, that I'm, I was saying, saying this that same thing to my workshop group last week that, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people that, if you just go out and, and you, you're photographing primarily for yourself and try to sell them, they're not going to sell anywhere near as well as someone that actually sets up stock photos and, mm. and does the, you know, the happy smiling group around a keyboard and, and, exactly. uh, you know, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, if you want to make a living as a stock photographer, then, you know, that I 100% on the, you know, you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. And I, I think that the, the difference there, I mean, what I do is, it's kind of now becoming a hybrid of what you just said in that I, with Offset, they don't, they don't request exclusivity. They, uh, all, they, all they want is they are kind of an unspoken, uh, well, not unspoken, but a, an agreement that we had was that I leave my stuff with them for at least a year because they put a lot of effort. They do all of the keywording and everything. Wow, um, that's so, nice. Yeah, yeah so, so with Offset, it was, it's a kind of different deal. Um, but I... Because they don't request exclusivity, I can actually sell the images through other agencies if I want to. Um, but also, I can still use the images in my own marketing. So, as you said, I mean, you'd rather rather use your, your best work for your own marketing. I'm still able to do that because, you know, all of my images go into my ebooks and everywhere else. But you can buy them f for a, a kind of a limited royalty-free license as well. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, you know, I know that Jeff... Um, his, his part, he listens to, to my podcast as well. I would suggest that he goes back and listens to episode 397 when I spoke to uh, Karen Sachs and Scott Brout of Offset. Uh, and they, they basically talk us through a lot of this stuff. Um, and he might want to get in touch with Offset. You know, they, they've got a link there on their, on their page. It's, it's um, similar to, to the 500px Prime in that generally, you know, not, not everyone is able to just go in and, and start and get an account um, but he might want to apply to offset they, they may end up you know they don't they don't want exclusivity um, they've got you know slightly better um, prices they, they charge 500 for a print image and 250 for a, a, a screen or a web size image um, so you know, I mean, maybe maybe Jeff should check out uh, Offset instead. Well, I, I, yeah, I think that should be part of our advice, which is you know just don't settle on the first offer that comes your right. way. Yeah. You know, do a little research, look around, and and you know uh, they do uh, these different uh, companies do offer different terms and, and find the one that um, you know fits well with you. Yeah. And you know, in my case, 
but what I always say is I want to be my own stock photo agency. That's that's my goal. Yeah. I just don't want to have to use someone else's photos. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So that's uh, what I'm after. You may you may try you may try with one or two images, you know, to see how it goes yeah. and uh, and not, you know, give them rights to I mean, exclusive exclusivity to 20 images right away, you know. Start. Well, you, you know, no, you know the thing is though, Valerie, is that the you know, to really make any money at stock, you've got to have thousands of images. Oh yeah, no, I'm talking with 500 px. Yeah, I know, but yeah. but like he's you know with just a few, if he's going to do it, yeah, I'm, my advice true. would be to throw everything. If you're if you're going to do it, put everything you've got yeah. into it. Yeah. Um, and maybe not, you know, I don't mean every image, but everything that he's already got on 500 px, he's probably happy to share that way. Um, just you know, the the more the more you've got available, the more likely you are to start to see revenue coming in from that. And and if he throws two or three in and doesn't get any money from it, he's probably going to get disappointed. <laughs> Quit. And not, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, yeah, the exclusive uh, commercial licensing, that bothers me a little bit, too. I would definitely think twice. But, um, Jeff, I hope that helped. And uh, let us know how, how things work. But but shop around before you, you jump into anything. I think that's pretty much what we all would do. Yeah, we, uh, we gave you plenty of angles. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple online accounting solution that's built for small business owners just like you. For a limited time, you can try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, just visit getfreshbooks.com and enter This Week in Photo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And it's tax time. If you're not using FreshBooks, your life is probably a mess right now. You're hunting for receipts. You're digging through invoices, going through every record one by one. It's the worst. FreshBooks is a simple cloud accounting solution that makes tax time a breeze. And with FreshBooks, you can create professional-looking invoices, capture and track expenses, and get real-time business reports with just a few simple clicks. Plus, you can work anywhere with FreshBooks using their mobile apps for your phone and tablet. And I use FreshBooks personally to manage the This Week in Photo universe by because you know it's kind of a one-man band here, managing all the expenses and the invoicing and the clients and all advertisers, all that stuff. So FreshBooks is the back end to everything on This Week in Photo. It automatically invoices advertisers, it invoices everything, keeps everything in track, and when I need to run reports for tax time, it's a few simple clicks, and boom, I'm done. I don't have time, I wanna be a photographer, I wanna be out shooting, so FreshBooks makes it easy for me to just get everything done, and it's, uh, it's, it's just a great service, it's a godsend for getting things done as a very thin operation in terms of headcount. Um, and you know, for me, if I if I had known about FreshBooks when I first started this week in photo, a ton of headaches would have just gone away. I mean, we receive invoices from people using FreshBooks, so they, you know, when when we send things out, they look professional. We get paid online, so there's no hassle of mailing checks or anything crazy like that. So FreshBooks is awesome. And like I said at the beginning, for a limited time, you can try FreshBooks for free for 60 days. Just get started at getfreshbooks.com and enter this week in photo in the how did you hear about us section. And right now, FreshBooks is giving our listeners and viewers an extended 60-day free trial just to make sure you can get through tax time 
in a breeze. They're trying to make everything easy for you. So head over to getfreshbooks.com, enter this week in photo in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up and enjoy and make sure you know, you tell them that this week in photo sent you. Now we're on to our final segment and that's the picks of the week. Um, and you can pick anything as long as it's photography related. So Martin, what's your pick of the week? Okay, well, seeing as it's only oh, just around the corner, I'm going to do a shameless self-promotion and Go and, for it. <laughs> and and just mention again my striking landscapes ebook that will be released on March 11th. So, uh, if you go to, I've got a short link that will take you directly to my web to the my craft and vision uh, authors page, and that's mbp.ac/cvmb. So, craft and vision Martin Bailey, and and that will take you directly to that page. Uh, that'll be there from next week, and there'll probably be one of those deals where you can get it for four dollars instead of five for the first five days or or, or first week. So uh, check it out if you if you're interested in landscape photography. It's it's going to be a, a pretty good resource. So it's turned out to be around seventy five pages. So it's a bigger oh, it's e-book. a big ebook, and yeah. uh, the link will be on the show notes. Awesome. That would well, be congr- great. Yeah. Congratulations, Martin. Another book. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Thank you very much. Great, Derek. So uh, I was uh, Lopro, uh, who, who's one of my clients. I work with them. They just released uh, a new Pro Roller at WPPI. W, the expo for WPPI's uh, just wrapped up. Uh, so, and it's it's a really nice roller. We tested it uh, before uh, it was released. In fact, uh, we used it with the the film crew uh, when I was recording the the portraits title. And uh, they just did a very excellent job. It's the Low Pro Pro Roller X, and there's an X um, 100, 200, and 300. The 300 is really big. I mean, you could put a small child in there. Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, but don't do that. But don't do that. Or if you do, don't zip it up. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's, it's a lot of things that, that you want in a really rugged bag. The wheels are excellent and replaceable. Has uh, an all-weather cover, uh, excellent uh, extendable handle. Uh, they have a new uh, divider system uh, in there, so that you know that the Velcro doesn't stick on the divider until you want it to. So it's easy to, to slide them around in this kind of this high-tech material. And then uh, if you get in a situation where uh, the roller won't fit in an overhead uh, container, this is with the 100 and 200. It actually uh, has the the inner lining pulls out. You can unzip it and remove it from the shell, and it becomes a, a backpack that that will probably fit in the overhead. And then you just put your coat and a couple of miscellaneous in the in the roller shell and check it, so that you don't have to um, turn over your gear uh, to the to the the baggage handlers. And um, has TSA lock, and it's just it's a very nice, well-designed bag. I, I really like it a lot. I, I actually I own this bag, not this new one because mine mm-hmm. is a few years old, but mm-hmm. it's still like new. Not that I use it anymore because now I travel light because I only have a mirrorless camera with me. But uh, I used to take it overseas and have two camera bodies, a bunch of lenses on there, and it still looks like new. It's a tough bag. It's really great. But- yeah, they're good bags. You know, and the fun thing about uh, rollers, you know, I'm, I I travel pretty light too. Uh, but, you know, one thing that I really like about rollers is that they're an excellent storage uh, for your camera gear at home or at the studio. Yeah. 
you know, because they open up so easy, they're easy to organize, uh, and they're you know they're usually kind of rectangular, so they're, they they fit places, and so then uh, you know they're a nice uh, uh, device to work out of, so that you can fill up whatever your shoulder bag's going to carry that day and move it in and out of the roller. So I think they're good for storage too. And that's what I'm using mine for because uh, I don't use my DSLRs anymore. Yeah. They're yeah. stored in there. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, if I leave my gear in in a camera bag here in Tokyo, it, it all gets uh, mildew in there within about a week. It's oh, too humidity! Yeah, it's too humid here for that. Um, but I, I actually use a, a similar camera bag for commercial assignments, like just as Derek was saying, you know, roll. They're, they're much easier to work from if you're if you're working where you can just roll up and lay it down and open it up. Um, yeah. I use different bags for traveling, but I, uh, I'm not going to mention the name because I don't want to, I don't want to um, rain on Derek's fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Martin. I much appreciated. Well, thanks, Derek. And um, my pick of the week is actually free, but it's a podcast, and it's, a, I would say, the new kid on the block, um, although he's been doing his podcast for a little while now. And it's Michael Ramel in the UK who hosts a podcast that's mostly geared towards photographers who are turning pro or just turned pro. And the podcast is called Ready, Steady, Pro. And it's also a blog, and it's available on iTunes. And I know Michael is an avid TWIP listener. So hi, Michael. And so are the most of his audience. There, um, I, I met, I've talked with several, several of them, and um, he, he has he has a good thing going. It's a really nice podcast. And knowing and he's a busy guy with a young family, knowing how how demanding running a podcast can be when you have a full-time job and a family. I imagine that, um, you know, it's a lot of work. So uh, take a listen. Ready, steady, pro. Yes, good luck to you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. we're, uh, Michael's, Michael's been a, a listener of my podcast for a long time as well. We're good friends. So it, it, it is really nice to see him doing that and uh, all the best. So, well, that brings us to the end of another episode of TWIP. And thanks again to Squarespace and Data Robotics for their support. So stay tuned. At the end of this episode, there is an interview with Mark Homza of Flixel.com. Uh, now, Martin, where can people go to find out more about you and your workshops and your books and everything? Uh, everything's at uh, martinbaileyphotography.com if you there's there's a you can get everything from the menu but there's tiles and stuff so you can just scroll down a little bit and you'll see it all there awesome thank you derek the digital story <laughs> i love the way you say that <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty easy And for me, um, my website, uh, valeriejardinphotography.com, all in one word. And be sure to visit the new site at thisweekinphoto.com. It's beautiful. And if you want to touch base with Frédéric Van Johnson, I had to say it, <laughs> uh, you can find it at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that landscape off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.
All right, I'm sitting here with my friend, Mr. Mark Hamza. He's the chief marketing officer or CMO and co-founder of a new company you may not have heard of yet, but you soon will. It's called Flixel. And they are they are kind of redefining or maybe even popularizing or maybe even recreating a new genre of photography called the living portrait or animated portraits. You may have seen some of the work online already. Um, it's the it's the idea of taking a really high quality photo and then adding just a splash of motion to it to kind of give it that pop and that oh what the heck's going on there. So Mark uh, agreed to come on and chat about some things that they're working on and maybe give us some history of the company and all that sort of thing. And you know, plus we're going to be meeting up at WPPI next month to to review some other cool things that they have going on. So Mark, welcome to the show. Frederick, thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Okay, uh, let's get this off. So you're the chief marketing officer. You look awfully young to be a chief marketing officer, by the way. Yeah, chief marketing officers are supposed to be like jaded, you know, like suits that don't fit. You are like high fashion, put together, young dude. What's going on? How does that happen? You know, that's it, it's. You know, we hold, we all hold uh, many titles. Uh, like so, <laughs> all the, the co-founders of you know startup life. Hashtag startup life. That's sort of what. Uh, what it is, so um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I basically overlook some of the uh, the, the marketing initiatives, and um, I've been privileged to also produce a lot of cinemagraph uh, shoots um, and uh, look over just overall communications and that kind of a thing. So yeah, it's been it's been really exciting. Living great, and you're doing a fantastic job. I mean, the site looks amazing. The communications that I've seen so far look amazing, and you guys are at all the shows that I've been to, so you're you're doing the right things, it seems like, to reach the right audiences. So you mentioned Cinemagraph, right? So many people have heard of, they may have heard of the Cinemagraph or animation. Talk about that a little bit, just to set the stage, because we've seen, we've seen animated GIFs. You know, Google is doing the auto-awesome thing, where they take multiple images and, and make an animated GIF and kind of introduce a little bit of motion to it. You guys are doing something different. Kind of set the stage and define what this genre is. Totally. So, um, cinemagraphs, uh, the medium itself kind of started in 2011. Uh, two New York photographers, uh, uh, Jamie Beck and Kevin Berg. Well, actually, Jamie is, is, uh, is a photographer and, and Kevin is a uh, digital artist. Um, they sort of coined a term of cinemagraph, so meaning, you know, cinematic photographs or uh, images that seamlessly combine the effects of video capture and still photography. Um, so these kind of started, you know, pushing this new medium in 2011, and it was introduced uh, during New York's Fashion Week, uh, and very much embraced by that, by that particular industry. So uh, that's where we sort of, uh, you know, caught light of it, and we're like, wow, this is just a, a really interesting uh, new take on uh, not just photography, but you know, we were also looking at uh, how he was bringing a sort of a new creative dimension also to digital advertising. So that's where we said, "Hey, this this becomes really, really fun and exciting, uh, you know, a new uh, a new means of communication, uh, a new visual medium, uh, basically a new way to tell a story." So we said, "Hey, why don't we we get on this and and create a, a technology, a platform uh, that can you know uh, facilitate uh, the creation of these uh, so-called cinemagraph images, or as we refer to them as as living photos." Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 great, and we'll I'll show some of these in the interview as we're talking through this. Um, but the the you know it's interesting that where where technology or hardware technology and software and sort of the you know the zeitgeist of what photographers are wanting how they intersect, and then you know we get tools like this. And what I mean is, you know, the newer cameras that are that 
you know, mirrorless cameras and DSLRs started shooting videos several years ago, and now photographers have this capability to do video, but a lot of them are thinking like, well, okay, what do I do? I'm not a videographer. I'm not, you know, I don't want to get into all that. This is a way for them to kind of, you know, go down the path of least resistance to doing something that's really cool and really professional. Is that, did you guys feel that as well, that this is kind of a point of inflection or the nexus where things were coming together? I think so. I think, um, you know, as you know, there's, there's a whole paradigm shift that's, that's occurring uh, within the photography industry with uh, video, you know, capture capabilities going up to 4K. Um, so from a capture standpoint, the quality is, 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 is now really present and available. And um, I think also from a, a kind of a distribution display standpoint, uh, if you look at, you know, digital screens or, you know, we're also talking 4K resolution. And so I think right now from an, you know, this art form really lends itself very well for, you know, online applications. But also I think offline uh, we have now the technology to really, uh, you know, do justice to this new medium. So I think we're at a point where, uh, this new this new media type really has a chance to a chance to shine. Yeah. Now, w photographers, a lot of traditional photographers, you know, and I would I would put myself kind of in the middle, traditional and progressive, right? Right. So a lot of traditional photographers might say, um, okay, this is great, but I can only display these on a computer. So what good is it to me, right? So. You know, in other words, the traditional photographers, it's all about the prints, making large yeah. prints that go on the wall. That is real photography. Right. We're talking exclusively digital here. So talk to me about the whole, you know, <laughs> developing or shooting for the screen. Yeah, I mean, for us, uh, you know, when we first got into this, we, we identified a couple of pain points. And, you know, number one, uh, when we, we looked at this medium, we looked at cinemagraphs, you know, the first issue was uh, there's a lack of sophistication in the software, meaning... Um, it's either very complex to create these images or there, there was really no software specifically designed for the creation of this kind of media type. And the other big problem, as you just discussed, was, you know, what does the output format look like? Uh, and, you know, until very recently, we always had to uh, uh, focus on outputting as a, as a GIF. Uh, and the reason for that is because of its universal application across all browsers and mobile, etc. And obviously the problem with a GIF is that you're limited within the screen. You can't go into digital displays, you can't go offline because as we know with, with, with low frame rate and low color resolution, they just don't look very appealing. So then, you know, so on the one hand you had brands that really were, you know, really enjoying the GIF and it's fun and it's, but you know, it, it also has this kind of a gimmicky connotation to it and, and a GIF is a very, very large term. A cinemagraph really is, is the idea that you have a still photograph with, with a hint of motion that's incorporated and it's, a, it's almost like, a, it's, as much as it's rooted in GIF culture, uh, it's a very highly stylized uh, GIF. So, mm -hmm. um, from that perspective, our our idea was to um, you know offer solutions for those two pain points. On the one hand, we I think we facilitated um, you know the ease of use and 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 the creation process, really cutting it down significantly, making it really easy. And from an output standpoint, um, what we offer is is high definition output. So. Uh, with our with our new technology, you can basically render a you know a high definition or ultra HD 4K for that matter if you're if you're shooting 4K video, uh, and render that on your screen and use that in presentations and your powerpoints. You can display that on uh, you know on digital displays and screens. And online, we actually offer um, Flixel has what we call a um, universal web player, which basically enables you to uh, embed your living photo into a blog or into a website. Uh, and the image auto plays auto loops in high definition. 
So, um, so I that, think that's, that, a, that's an interesting point there. I, I want to have you elaborate on that because that, sure. that, was, that was kind of a point of, you know, okay, I get it, or a, a, an epiphany moment for me when, when you explained to me the – you know, that you could embed these in your page. And I was like, okay, why would I want to embed yours when I can just create, I can use the software, create my video, and then upload it to YouTube and embed that or put it on Vimeo or Wistia or whatever and, and have at it. Why, why would I want to introduce another architecture into my workflow? Um, and then you explained why, which I'd like you to explain to people as well because it's, it's a different kind of art form. So could you explain that a little deeper? Absolutely. So, you know, the web is, you know, there's sort of a browser war where when you upload a video into whether it's, you know, uh, whether you're using Chrome or Explorer or whatever, you know, in certain cases uh, the video will play or will auto-loop, in certain cases it won't. So what we decided to do is across the board offer a solution where when you do decide to embed a living photograph, it will automatically auto-play and auto-loop, meaning there's no thumbnail, there's no play button, so there's not that kind of barrier to entry. Uh, so to speak, and you get that you know sort of instant gratification, immediate, uh, uh, immediate result. Um, and so, our technology enables to do that across all browsers, mm -hmm. uh, regardless of which one you use, and also uh, optimizes the output uh, on mobile. So that becomes really, really interesting because at the end of the day, I think if, if you know if you're a professional photographer or you know an enthusiast or even a weekend warrior that really takes this craft seriously, I think you want to uh, offer the the highest quality output possible. Uh, and like I mentioned until recently, you really had to resort to using uh, the GIF right. as your default format. And in talking to a lot of professionals, including yourself, it's like, well, you know, you're going to shoot 1080, you're going to shoot with a great DSLR camera, capture beautiful video. And then it's just, ah, you got to resort to, you know, 10 frames per second. And it's right. just, right. It, it can be a little disappointing, at least in my point of view. So with our solution, what we refer to as our, you know, Flixel uh, web player, which is basically a, an iframe link, very much like YouTube. It's, it's a similar uh, philosophy where, you know, we host it, so we control the quality, and you can just grab that link, embed into your blog or website, and, you know, the image looks beautiful, and you can adjust the aspect ratio and the size, and, and, you're, and you're good to go. Um, and then from there, you have all the sharing capabilities to different social networks and Etc. So for us, it was really about you know increasing the quality and 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 you know and quality control at the end of the day, offering an output that was satisfying to uh, to users and that would reflect their ability to light properly, their ability to capture uh, and and have that reflected in that output uh, appropriately. I love it. And then, is there a, a fee associated with using the website and and using that architecture that you guys guys have built? No, no, and not as of now. You can definitely. Um, Right now, it's it's all available. The the iframe is there. You can dump it in and embed, and no issues. Absolutely. Cool. Okay, I I need to have you clear up one thing. I was taking notes as you were talking. So, um, the, how do we refer to these images? What's the official? So you're the chief marketing officer of Flixel. So your word is law, right? So, <laughs> how do we refer to these images? I've heard so them referred to as Flixels, living portraits, <laughs> um, uh, animated portraits, cinemagraphs and hybrid images. What's the best way to, like, what's the, what's the one word we should be using? That's a lot of names. That's a lot of <laughs> Or names. animated wow. GIF. I didn't, I didn't put animated GIF in there because, you know, we're beyond that. But Thank you. Um, well, you know, we like to refer to them as, as Flixels. And when, when people say, well, what is a Flixel? We say, well, Flixel is a living photograph. Now, I know that could be perceived a little bit as an you know, esoteric term, like what does that mean? 
Mm-hmm. Um, the official terminology uh, and the medium was was coined by Beckenberg. So, um, you know, the are cinemagraphs, cinematic photographs, and, and we like to respect that. And I guess the way we describe a cinemagraph, and actually I was reading a really cool interview by, uh, by Beckenberg recently with Time Lightbox. They were... Um, they were actually asked a question like, well, how do you describe a cinemagraph? What is that? And they're like, it's not quite a photo, it's not quite a video, and I believe it's Kevin who said uh, it's, uh, it's a living photograph. Yeah. So very much in line with sort of how we've, we've tagged and how we've described it. And um, That's great. That's great. Yeah, and I know Giulio Shorio talks about it as well, and he and I were battling back and forth, not battling, but kind of discussing how to describe these things in the word, the phrase animated portrait popped out because he does a lot of portraiture and people like that so it made sense for that particular vertical but if you're shooting a car and adding an animated highlight to it it's not really a portrait at that point so yeah uh, cinematograph fits absolutely i don't think we want to limit it to any particular style of capture or photography you know as you just mentioned so i think yeah. cinematographs or in that case you know living photos or living photographs it just gives it more of a larger sense and encompasses all sorts of uh, you know creative possibilities in that sense all right, Mark, so i got to play devil's advocate here. So um, some photographers may say, okay, maybe is, is this a, a cure in search of a disease, right? Because we have... We have we're all sick, Frederick. We're, <laughs> we're all sick. sick. It's a, Don't get me started on that. Zombie apocalypse coming. Okay. So we have uh, tools that have been around for ages like After Effects, and Photoshop yeah. now does video, yeah. right? So we have all these high-powered tools that we can move mountains with if we put enough, you know, mind power behind it, right? So why would someone want to invest in learning a new tool like like Cinemagraph or, you know, the software that you guys are putting together? That's a very good question. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a long pause. He's like, I know you have like a million answers. Like, okay, where should I start here? Where should I start? Let me look at my arsenal of responses. (laughs) and carefully craft one uh, on the spot. No, um, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I think depending on the project, you're always going to look at which which tools you're going to use that are going to best suit your your end result, right? It's it's, Mm -hmm. it's like when people ask me, you know, uh, are you guys going to have, you know, cinemagraphs, should cinemagraphs be applied to absolutely everything? I'm like, well, of course not. Uh, I think depending on on the project, depending on the story you're trying to tell, um, there's, you know, you, you want to choose your medium carefully. So in that case, it can be sometimes a still, sometimes you want to shoot video, and sometimes a cinemagraph is the perfect way to uh, really tell the story that you're, yes. you know, tr- you know you're, and the point you're trying to convey, you know, highlighting that focal point in the image, giving that little extra, some that mesmerizing component, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so in regards to the tools, I think it's a similar, a similar approach. Now, one thing that we've done is we feel that, you know, one can use... Uh, Flixels, what we're introducing and we're launching uh, is Flixel Cinematograph Pro for for, for the Mac, oh, um, which right. is a professional tool and, and really the kind of the only really the design tool, uh, specifically designed tool for for the creation of this sort of uh, media. Um, and in that sense, I feel that it can be used in conjunction with certain software. So obviously, we're not trying to change the game of uh, you know retouching or, or skin correction. That's not our thing. Or you know, applying color treatments to video. What we're really focusing on is facilitating and making sure that the creation process for the animation component is extremely intuitive, is fluid, and it's fast. Yeah. Uh, because in our in our analysis, when we were working, I mean, I, I've had the chance to obviously uh, 
I work with a lot of great editors, and and when we work on many projects, which was you know with America's Next Top Model, or we we, we did we did major productions for uh, the Estate of Marilyn Monroe, Macy's, uh, Canada's National Arts Center, etc. Uh, and when we did toy with with other other softwares, we were like, my God, this is it is extremely time consuming, uh, extremely costly as a result on a post production side of things. So if you are a you know a a, a content creator who wants to cut down your your post production. You don't have, let's say, the means to outsource to a you know a, a full on uh, post production team. Flix will become such a powerful tool because from the animation standpoint, you can literally create your animation in a matter of a couple of minutes. It's there. Uh, so again, we're not trying to reinvent the game of uh, you know we're trying to not trying to compete with Photoshop uh, or in that sense, but in creating that living image, embedding that motion, um, you know, with Flixel's a live masking technology, we just cut down the post-production process significantly. Again, I was reading, uh, I was reading Beckenberg's interview because again they were the inspiration for our company, and, and we we you know, we have a lot of respect for their work. And we probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Uh, and they were saying how it takes them on average two days to create a basic cinemagraph, and if they're going to have motion incorporated. Uh, so body motions, for example, if I'm shooting a model and I want to just animate the hair flowing, for example, so it's an it's 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 a spot a spot on motion on the body that can take sometimes up to a week, if not more, because wow. um, if there's some motion, then we get into like rotoscoping all that kind of stuff. So even if you if if you if you focus on external motion, you're talking two days. We and can do that, and that's if you're fluent in the software, right? And that's if you're. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, you well, that's know the how to use it. Absolutely. So you have to look at who your your target audience is. You know, for us, it's it's a prosumer market. So, um, you know, you know, our, our our the target audience that we're trying to reach is, is obviously people that don't have necessarily the means for, like I said, a full production team or full production setup. And in this case, it really cuts down a the learning curve and really gets you to the core of what Flixel is. I need to create an animation. I drop my video in, create it, export it. I can even export my still frame. I can do my retouching other software. So it could be used as a standalone piece. Everything could be done within, or you can use it in conjunction with other softwares um, to, you know, to get to your end result as quickly as possible. So every software has its strength, and you know, with Flixel, it's all about the 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 ability to to live mask and preview your end result in a matter of you know a few seconds. And I think that's what's very very powerful. And every time we do a demonstration live, people are just you know they're kind of blown away because yeah. you know as you know you and I know we we understand what it means to. You know, bring in your video, overlay the the still frames, render. Then you apply your mask. You don't you don't see it in real time. Did you make a few mistakes? You got to go back after you render. It's just it became it was so unintuitive when we were doing it. Uh, and again, a lot of respect to Beckenberg would take the time and 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 they look their results are are absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I'm I've been just trying to you know we're we're just trying to kind of keep up with with their brilliance. But right, right. but from from a time consumption, it's how do you expect your, you know, your 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 wedding photographer or your weekend warrior and enthusiast to say, yeah, sure, I, I love this art form, but it just takes too much time. And then if I'm, and then from a business perspective, you know, from an income opportunity, you know, we were also getting a lot of feedback where photographers were like, well, it's going to take me so many hours to do one, unless I am Beckenberg, I'm in that one percent where I work with, you know, major fashion brands or. Uh, you know, entertainment franchises like we've had the opportunity to work with, this doesn't really much make make much right. sense from a business perspective. Yeah, because think, the the time expenditure versus what you're charging for the final product, you know, you're you're basically pay, paying the client to let you do it. 
Exactly. Yeah. You know, you're basically paying to play, and right. uh, that that's just not good business. So I think with Flixel, uh, from a business perspective, you know, cutting down that learning curve and offering a tool that's you know hyper specialized, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and specifically designed for this medium, I think that really makes it now uh, really interesting from a from a new revenue stream, a new service offering that photographers and videographers alike can offer to their clientele. I mean. Uh, think, think weddings. How beautiful it would be to see veils flow, hair, subtleties, earrings, jewelry, uh, just yeah. and even stuff with the environment. Your, your, you know, your the, the, the grooms, etc. All that. I mean, there's so many creative possibilities. Uh, now you can offer that to your clientele and and you know actually turn a profit uh, yeah. versus spending 15 hours and creating one image. So. Yeah. Now, now, Mark, talk to me a little bit about the the evolution of the software because when I sure. was first introduced to it, it was iOS only. Right, and and, and and another piece while you're addressing that lineup, um, address <clears throat> the the sort of the the stigma that's associated with apps that show up iOS only being, you know, if it's on iOS or if it's if it's not on a proper quote computer, then it's not going to be able to create professional results. You're going to be creating Instagram type filters, that sort of thing. That wasn't your goal at the outset, right? So can you address that a little bit? Well, absolutely. So you know when we first started. We we released our our application our software on on mobile, so we were a mobile oriented uh, uh, tool, and you know with that there comes a certain stigma being just you know on iOS. Uh, you know you're, we we were initially well and to be fair initially our goal was to sort of potentially be the next evolution of Instagram. You know at the mm -hmm. time when we launched Instagram, uh, actually the timing was interesting had just been been purchased by Facebook, uh, so you know the way we positioned it, our messaging at the time in order to get a lot of traction was. You know, Flixel, is it the next Instagram? Is it the next evolution mm. to, you know, static images? Could this be a subset feature to that platform or et cetera? So um, that's sort of how we, you know, we began. And that was the dream. This could maybe become a social network on its own. And we soon realized that that was not the idea. That was not the intent. Um, you know, Instagram is about, uh, is about outputting quick data, you know, yeah. shoot, filter, done. And it's about, it's about telling us, you know, uh, it, it's sort of it's a visual rep representation of your status update in Facebook. Yes, yeah, right it, yeah. yeah, let me take a picture, and you know, a picture is, is worth a thousand words. So there yep. you go. Um, and we realized with Flixel, it's more of an it's more of an art project. People want to take the time, and and then realize who our our true user base was, which was really more more artists and, and artists that really take their craft very very seriously. Not not to say that those people don't exist on on Instagram, they do, but. Um, so from there we said, you know what, to be taken a little more seriously by the photography and imaging community, we have to get out of mobile. Uh, and also within mobile, uh, and you know, the, after, after the, uh, the initial iPhone app, we then introduced an, an iPad application, which was, you know, obviously gives you more real estate to edit and all that kind of stuff, but you still have limitations from a, you know, a, a file size perspective and all that kind of stuff. And, and again, it, it, the perception of, you know, are you, are you a tool or are you more of a toy? And and so we really wanted to dispel that because we felt you know what uh, this our, our 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 live masking technology is so powerful this this ability to to preview and embed your motion in real time is so so powerful that we don't want to just be considered uh, you know a toy and dismissed so we said you know what it's time to go it's time to really go pro uh, and bring this to the desktop so and that's where we're introducing this week. Uh, uh, Flixel Cinemagraph Pro for for Mac, um, and I then we're really excited about that. So you know, again, like I mentioned, you can export. It supports you know uh, HD files, uh, Ultra HD, 4K, 
um, has and, and and really it's it's like an, it's it's a much more detailed extension uh, of the iOS features. So you have um, a choice of more filters, more refined masking tools, um, basically more power, more control to achieve a professional grade uh, cinemagraph uh, image. Professional quality is 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 the idea. That's great. It kind of uh, the the lineup kind of reminds me a little bit of the the like iMovie on iOS it has a limited feature set, but you can still create some really cool things that people wouldn't believe came from a, a tablet or a phone. And then there's the desktop version, which takes the that same UI and feature set and pushes it forward and gives you more control over transitions and themes and blah 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 and all that stuff. Is it is you're kind of looking in that direction? You know what we're sort of and you know another great way of of, of saying it would be sort of to compare it to like what GarageBand is for musicians. I, I know a lot of great musicians uh, who use GarageBand to to create you know basic you know their basic vocal tracks or whatever it is. And it's it's easy, it's intuitive, it's to the point, um, and um, you're not intimidated on the onset by you know uh, an extensive amount of compressors and tools and this where you're like, again, uh, After Effects is fantastic, but it's not specifically designed to do living photos. So when you open it up, you're like, my God, where do I begin? Right. The learning curve right then and there is so daunting that most will say, I, it's it's just it's too lengthy. And I think the create the workflow from an editing perspective is just not as intuitive. Right. You right. know, it's just not well, it's as a tool intuitive. That's, it's it's a tool that's built to do anything you could possibly dream up. Right? Exactly. Whether it's Correct. flying text in or tracking motion on a car or wrote, all that stuff. So whatever you can throw at it, if you have the skills, you can do it. The way that I see Cinemagraph and Cinemagraph Pro is it's it's like a magnifying glass trying to burn a hole in a piece of paper outside, right? So you're focusing on one thing and burning it so that you can make it really easy for photographers, right? Frederick, if, if for a job, you know, all you need is a screwdriver, why bring your toolbox? Thank you. You know what I mean? Yes. You know what I mean? Like, why, why, why bring all that heavy baggage and, and when all you need is one specific tool? Come prepared. You, you know what you need. Get the job done. Yeah. So that's sort of don't, how we... don't bring a nuclear weapon to a knife fight, right? <laughs> <laughs> Although a nuclear weapon is pretty awesome. I mean, that's, I mean you'll intimidate your rivals. That, if you really want to get the job done, bring that. But if you, you if know, you don't want to play you fair, be efficient. You know, yeah. <laughs> Well, then you'll, yeah. I love it. Okay, so let, let's wrap this up. So you're, um, you guys, as we record this um, in uh, mid-February here, you guys are heading next month in March to WPPI. What's going on there for you? We're going to have our own setup. Uh, we're going to have our own little booth. We'll be doing a few seminars uh, talking about, um, you know, living photography and how Cinemagraph Pro for Mac uh, is a great intuitive uh, creation tool for fast results. Uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, the medium, and uh, we're going to be uh, introducing Cinemagraph Pro for Mac to uh, you know a wide audience of uh, of portrait and wedding photographers. So we're we're very excited. You should come uh, you should come check us out. We'll be we'll be speaking um, throughout the week. Awesome. Yeah, and and I want to invite you to come on. I'll be speaking in the Panasonic booth, so I want to invite you to come on there and demo this potentially to the audience live on stage. Are you up for that? We'd love to. We love right. demoing. Cool. All right. Well, we'll figure it out. We'll make it happen. <laughs> like, we love the demo, the art of the we demo. We love the demo. Absolutely. 
Cool, Mark. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time today to do this. Where where should folks go to uh, download the software, and when's the desktop version going to be ready to grab, and all that good stuff? And pricing, give me all the marketing piece of it. So uh, Flixel, so Cinemagraph Pro for Mac will be available uh, next Tuesday. Uh, next what, what's, what date? What date is that? That will be Tuesday the 25th. Okay. Uh, February. It will be 2014. It will be available, so you can. It will be available for, for download on Flixel.com. Okay. Uh, you can also get it on the Mac App Store if you so choose to, um, and you can also get, you can download a trial if you wish, and then you can purchase it uh, for 199.99. And if you're at WPPI, we might be giving you some special deals as well. Very cool. Uh, so definitely come check out our seminars, and uh, we'll be we'll be giving uh, you some special offers during during that period of time. Yeah, well, that's great. And the what's the the iOS version? What's the price of that? Uh, so the iOS we have Cinemagraph, uh, Flickr Cinemagraph, which is free. Okay. Uh, so download for free. Check out all the different galleries and 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 and, and the feeds, etc. Yeah. And then we have Cinemagraph Pro, which right now is uh, nine ninety nine for iOS, so iPhone and iPad. Wonderful. Cool. Perfect. Great interview. Mark, thank you for, for doing this. It's been uh, educational. I've been playing with the software uh, for what, about a month or so now, and, you know, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Are you I digging think, it? Are you digging it or what? I am. I'm digging it. I think it, it's, uh, like I said, it for me, it, it's a new genre. It, you know, it's a reinvention of a genre of photography. Like you said, there was the GIF, and people kind of have their minds and even stigmas around what an animated GIF is. Right. When you see these things, and I would encourage the audience to go check out Flixel.com just to look at some of these things. And you guys are affiliated with Tyra Banks and America's Next Top Model. Correct. And look at some of the portraits that those that the photographers done and put up there. Then you kind of get it. You're like, oh, okay, that's just not animated. <laughs> that is that's something brand new. And then your mind starts spinning about, man, I could. I could take a picture of my house and just have the trees blowing in the front yard, you know, those totally. kind of things. I, again, like we, we mentioned before, I think it's, it's, it's a new way to tell a story. Yeah. Um, and I think it's an effective way to tell a story. And uh, when it's applicable, I think, it'd be, you know, it's very powerful. Um, and I think because, the, you know, this art form is still very much in its infancy, um, you know, I think there's still so much to explore so many creative possibilities and already I mean we're blown away when we look at our community and and what what the artists and content creators propose we're always like oh wow that's that's amazing that's that's brilliant so uh, I think as as the art form continues to establish itself and become a standard uh, within the you know photography industry and and and, and hopefully in advertising and, and, and um, I think uh, I think we're really at the uh, the tip of the iceberg in terms of you know creative potential so we're excited to see where uh, where this takes us Awesome. Well, congratulations again, and uh, I guess Thanks, I'll see Frederick. you in Las Vegas. See you in Vegas, Frederick. It'll be <laughs> fun. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure, as always. You're welcome. Okay, I'll talk to you soon, Mark. Thank you. Bye-bye.